0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's sermon. Come and to gather together as believers as we make much of Jesus. Man, there's a hundred, about a hundred of us who are at the Women of Joy Conference this weekend. And, uh, and so I've been, I've been doing the dad thing all week and my wife has been there. And literally she left the house on Friday and said, Anthony, I, I just, I got to give you one thing to do. Make sure all of our kids live. As of this morning, we're doing pretty good, right? And uh, Man, but I'm so grateful they've had a chance to get there. So glad that you are here today and that together we can make much of Jesus. Now, as we begin in our Bible study time today, uh, we are in week three. Week three in a season of prayer for our five-year vision here at Connect Church. Uh, Three weeks in. Asking God to do what seems to be the impossible in the life of our church. And I'm so excited about how God is already moving and how God is going to continue to move a three-year vision, or a five-year vision that goes from our very neighborhood to the nations. And asking God to continue to put Connect Church on the front lines of his mission to absolutely save the world. And how does he do it? It's through the, the life-changing gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask one of our team, Zach or David, would you all help me with my screen this morning over here at my TV this morning? But as we do, I want to begin to tell a little bit more about what our five-year vision looks like and just to remind you what it is that we're praying through because our five-year vision is not just about a building. It's really about building God's kingdom through people and seeing God move in the hearts and the lives of people, as they try to finagle this screen over here, I'll give you a glimpse into the life of that vision. And and one of the things I want to encourage you, church, um, as we pray together and as we look towards Pledge Sunday, is stop in one of these tents that we have set up all across our campus. Go in there and pray. We've got a prayer guide in there. It'll take just a couple of minutes. Oh, but how we'd love for you just to go in there and to pray for your church. Maybe you're visiting with us. Spend some time in there and pray for a church that you got a chance to visit on this Sunday, and we'd be so grateful. Well, here's a look at our five year vision here at Connect Church, and here's what we see. Let's see. Whoa. Who put that in there? That is, that's just me. Hey, you know, it's a good Sunday when the vols win and Alabama loses. And thousands of all fans become Aggie fans overnight. I don't know who put that in there. It's offensive. I'm so sorry. Uh, Here's our five-year goals. Here's some of what we see. As I try not to make eye contact with my father-in-law in the back, who's in an Alabama, fan. anyway, to see a thousand people come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Over fifteen hundred people on campus each Sunday morning, connecting with each other and connecting with the Lord. Church campus is planted uh, throughout our community and around our region. Four to five, a thousand people in connect groups. People serving three hundred in kids and three hundred in students and college and young adults. Two unreached people groups reached with the gospel of Jesus. Christ, a main campus of Connect Church, the launching of Connect Christian Academy, for the sun to never set on Connect missions through our partnerships and our people around the world, and also an incredibly powerful ministry to individuals and families with special needs. And I love it. I, hey, yeah, you can clap for that. I like that. Hey, listen, we're so excited about what God is doing. And I got the question just a couple weeks ago and I asked you this, then how is it that we accomplish such a big a big thing? How is it that we accomplish such a big vision together? You ready? It's simple. And it's prayer. Last week, we looked at the tent of meeting that Moses would set up outside of the camp in Exodus thirty-three eleven, And that is where, and I love how it's described this way, that is where the Bible says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Last week, I challenged you to, to set up that tent of meeting, giving Jesus your first and last in prayer each day, to pray throughout the day, to pray without ceasing. And I just have a question, how's your prayer life going? How's it going? How's it going giving Jesus your first and your last through prayer? How is it in that idea of keeping that prayer communication open throughout the day by by not ceasing to pray? Yeah, I ran across the story of one region in Africa where the first converts to Christianity were very diligent about prayer. And it was important to them. In fact, each of the believers in this African tribe had their own special place outside of their village where they would go and they would pray in solitude, if you will, their own tent of meeting. The villagers would reach these prayer rooms, these tent of meetings, by using their own private footpath out into the bush. Now, when the grass began to grow over one of these trails, it was evident that the person who was going out there to pray wasn't praying very much. Well, because the new Christians were concerned for each other in their spiritual life, a unique custom sprang up among the people. Whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would simply go to that person And lovingly warn this, grass grows on your path. Hey, there's grass growing on your path. I have a question. How much grass is growing up on your prayer path? How much grass is growing in the very route every day that you take to have that conversation, that time, and that fellowship with God. In that tent of meeting where you meet face to face with the Lord every day giving Him your first and your last. How's the grass growing? Here's what I'm convinced. You ready, church? That the enemy desires to disarm, to discourage, and to destroy every believer's effectiveness by simply convincing us that we are too busy to pray. Or that maybe prayer really isn't Effective. Hey, maybe prayer really doesn't matter, and prayer really doesn't make the difference. And you know, what, there's a lot of reasons not to pray. But here's where I stand convinced today. In light of so many reasons not to pray, here's where we are. You ready? I'm too busy not to pray. I'm convinced that prayer is effectual and powerful, and I'm also convinced that prayer wins battles. That prayer wins battles. Watch this in Ephesians chapter 6. If you've been around the church, you know that this passage, this chapter, is a call for you and I to to put on the full armor of God in it, believe her. Man, it's a battle-ready passage. Because Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that our enemy is not one of flesh and blood, but it's in the spiritual realm is where we fight our enemies. It's where we fight our battles Today. And in this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of God means this, that we buckle the belt of truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We have feet that are fitted with readiness. We take up the shield of our faith. We secure the helmet of our salvation to our heads. And we put the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, at our side. And the question becomes, now that we're suited up, What's next? Where's the battle? Where's the warfare? Where do we fight? And watch what Paul does here, and I love it. In the very next verse, he says this. Now that you're suited up, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and with all kinds of requests. You know what's amazing? Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that when it comes to battles, our battles are fought and won through prayer. We suit up for prayer. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, we find one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray in our tent of the meeting. And that is the prayer of intercession. And I want you to see what happens here. As Paul tells us to suit up, and he begins to tell us to pray. Watch what happens here in the next verses. He says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Now watch this. Praying for the the Lord's people. Hey, pray for your church. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray also for me, Paul says. Hey, listen, I, I want you to pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know what Paul is saying to the believers in Ephesus? Pray for me. Bring me to Jesus through prayer. Bring Me to Jesus through prayer. Some of the most powerful prayers, and here's what we're convinced last week, prayer is powerful, and one of the most powerful prayers we can pray is that of intercession. You might say to yourself, what does it mean to intercede for somebody? What does intercession mean? Literally, it means this. The word intercession means to go between. Intercession, interceding, means to go between. It means this, that you and I are the go-between between between Jesus and the person we are praying for. I was asked a couple years ago to preach in front of hundreds of kindergarten, first and second graders. Guys, perhaps the most terrifying place I've ever preached the gospel. And I was terrified. And here's what they did. They said, hey, Pastor Anthony, we want you to preach on intercessory prayer. Like, I didn't even get David and Goliath, right? I didn't get any of the good stuff. I got talked to kindergartners about intercessory prayer. I was devastated. And I prayed through and I thought, gosh, how do I take this this concept, this powerful prayer of intercessory and intercession and how do I make it real? So I I need some help. Hey, uh, Pastor David, could you come here? Are you here? David, hey, come here for a second if you would. And this is what I did for the kids, is I took somebody and I put them in front, can you stand right up here? I need you to look like Jesus. All right, so here's what, so of course Jesus was blonde hair, blue eyes, and had a southern accent, right? Um, and so you're gonna be Jesus and you're gonna play the part. Maybe just kind of hold your hands out like that. Okay, good, that's, yeah, that's good. Dominic, come here for a second if you would. I need you to come down here why are you holding a sheep? Um, that's awkward. You ready? There we go. I kind of turn with your back to the crowd there. Um, and so literally with the kids, here's what I said. I said, so let's talk intercessory prayer and what that looks like. Guy up on stage, he represents Jesus, right? Now, this is so simple. But the kids got it. So maybe we might today. What does intercessory prayer look like? It's simply this. Dominic's having a hard time in his life. Some things are going hard for him and difficult for him. And God has placed him on my heart. That's sheep. Amen. I, well, anyway, and so, so I'm going to be praying for him. And here's what it means to intercede. You ready? It simply looks like this. To take Dominic to Jesus through prayer. Hey, listen, in its simplest form. Hey, let's give our actors and the sheep a round of applause. Hey, guys, intercession In its most simplest form, is bringing people to Jesus through prayer. I love how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus here. And watch this, in Hebrews 7.25, speaking of Jesus, our high priest, he says, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always, watch this, always lives to make intercession." For them, I love the language of Hebrews seven twenty-five. I love this that He is able to save to the uttermost. There's an old preacher by the name of Billy Sunday who said this about Jesus: that Jesus saved me from the guttermost to the uttermost. Man, didn't He saved us right out of the gutter of our sin? I love this language that God saves us to the uttermost. We're reminded in this passage that we draw near to Jesus and that through Jesus we draw near to God. It's it's a reminder of our Who's Your One campaign to to identify those who are close to us but who are far from God and praying, bringing them to Jesus through prayer in hopes that they would draw close to God by faith. I love what the author of Hebrews says. That he always lives. Jesus always lives. Hey, let's not just breeze by this. He lives. Jesus is alive. For instance, Muhammad, the so-called prophet of Islam, is dead. Buddha, the figurehead of Buddhism, is dead. And yet Jesus is alive. And that's why the song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow means all the more to us. Why? Because Hebrews 7.25 reminds us that Jesus is praying for us. Hey, guys, Jesus is praying for you. Every believer in the house today, Jesus is interceding, bringing you to the Father through prayer. And you might ask, well, hey, what? What qualifies Jesus to be this go-between for us and the Heavenly Father? A pastor shared the story once of a uh, a soldier during the Civil War. War. This soldier had lost both his father and his brother in battle. And he himself went up to the White House in Washington, D.C., to ask for a reprieve that he could take time off to go home and help his mother and his sister in the planting season. Well, when he had gotten to the White House that day to see President Lincoln, he couldn't make it in. The President had no time for him. And so that soldier, man, defeated and discouraged, not knowing how his mom and his sister were gonna survive, went and sat out on a little bench outside the White House and put his head in his hands and just begin to pray. Well, about that time, a little boy comes up to him and taps on him and says, soldier, why are you so upset? And the soldier said, no, listen, I'm fine. little boy insisted, why are you so upset? And the the soldier shared with him, my my dad and my brother were killed in battle and I worry for my mom and my sister. And, And the little boy takes him by the hand Walks him onto the lawn of the White House. Goes to the back of the White House. Walks him right past the security and through the back doors of the White House. Walks into the Oval Office itself. Into the very president, in the the presence of President Lincoln. And President Lincoln looked up and asked this. What can I do for you, Tad? And Tad said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. And you know what? That soldier was not turned away by the president. When it comes to Jesus, our, our intercessor, because he is God's son who died upon the cross and emptied the grave, Jesus is uniquely qualified to be our go-between. And he intercedes for us. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and that man, Jesus Christ. Hey church, hear me, Jesus is praying and Jesus is interceding for us right now in this moment. In the classic Greek, here in Hebrews seven, the word intercession kind of draws the picture in a person's mind and refers to someone bringing a request before the king on behalf of another person. Bringing the request before the king on behalf of another person. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus is doing for us. As he intercedes for us, he brings us, he brings our request. he brings our needs before the king of all king. Listen to how Paul describes this in Romans chapter eight, verse 34. He asks the question, who is it that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised alive and is at the right hand of God, and watch this, and is also interceding for us. Hey, can I share with you one of the most comforting, life-changing, courage-building truths in all the Bible for the believer? you ready? It's this. Jesus is praying for you. Right now. And always. Jesus is praying for you. Robert Murray in the early 1800s, a pioneer missionary here to the United States, testified this way, he said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And he said, yet distance makes no difference. Jesus is praying for me. And you know what I love too about Jesus praying for us? Watch what Paul writes here later on in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. He says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, watch this, the Spirit of Jesus intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And his Spirit is praying, interceding for us. Does this ever look like your prayer life? Man, this looks like my prayer life a lot. Or I just don't know exactly how to or what to pray. And you know what? Even in those moments of life, Jesus is praying, praying for you. I want you to hear me. Intercession, interceding for someone makes a difference, and it matters. I love this conversation between Peter and Jesus in Luke chapter 22. y'all remember this conversation? Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. First of all, how terrifying is that thought? He doesn't know everybody's name, Satan. But he knew Peter's name. In fact, this word you here in the Greek is plural. And what Jesus is saying to Peter, hey, listen, Satan has demanded to have all of you. All of you who are my disciples. He wants you all. And watch this, that he might sift you like wheat. We find this in places like Amos 9-9, that really this is a statement to say because he wants to absolutely rock your world. He wants to beat you down. He wants to defeat you is what Jesus is saying. this? But watch Jesus' response. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you. Now this week, I kinda hopped into Peter's skin, and I thought, what would my response be to this? Well, it might look a little something like this. Wait, wait, what? Satan demanded, me? Jesus, you're gonna pray for me? How about tell that old Satan no? You are the son of God, God in the flesh. Instead of praying, why not pummel that old devil and put him in his place? Prayer. The devil's coming after me. Isn't there something more you could do? Jesus, I want, I want more. And yet we see that Jesus utilizes what really is more. And that is the powerful prayer that is intercession. And he says, Peter, I'm going to do the best thing I know how to do for you. And I am going To pray for you. The most powerful weapon in his arsenal, the most valuable tool in his toolbox was to tell Peter, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You know what I'm starting to get from Jesus? Is that prayer is powerful. And one of the most powerful prayers you can make for someone else is to intercede, to bring them to Jesus through prayer. Jesus lives to intercede for us. And church family, we must live to intercede for others. Remember Ephesians chapter six, Paul calls us to pray for each other. Always keep praying for the Lord's people. And Paul says, pray for me. Man, how often do you pray for your church? Honestly, on the way here, how often do you just ask God to move? Saturday night before you, you go to bed, how often do you pray for your church family? Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century English preacher, the pastor of New Park Street Chapel in London, England, a church that held, and by the way, for that time, it held over 5,000 people, one of the largest churches in the world. Well, on one Sunday morning, Five young college students decided that as they were seeing London that day, they wanted to stop and hear the famous Charles Spurgeon preach at his church. And so they were standing outside of the church, kind of looking around before the doors opened that Sunday morning, where an older man came up to them. And just by eyeing him down a little bit, they thought, well, perhaps he's the maybe kind of the custodian of the place and kind of takes care of the place. And the older man approached them and said, hey, gentlemen, why don't you let me show you around the church? He said, in fact, why don't you let me show you the boiler room of the church? Now, listen, they weren't too fond of that thought. It was a hot July day. Man, they just wanted to go to church. They didn't want to be bothered. But they didn't want to offend the older man either. And so they consented. And so the old man brought them in the back way of the church and brought them down a, a stairwell. And then he whispered to them before he opened the door, this is our boiler room. Th- this is our boiler room. He opened the door and those five college students saw 700 people on their knees Praying and begging God to move on behalf of everyone who would show up to church that day. For every believer, for every non-believer, for everybody who just stumbled in the church that day. Over 700 people on their knees asking and begging God to move, interceding for people. You see, that was the boiler room of Charles Spurgeon's church. It's a reminder, church, that where prayer is focused, God's power falls. And the power of God fell on that church in London. Why? Because the people of that church were busy bringing other people to Jesus through prayer. James reminds us in James 5.16 that the prayer of a righteous man, let me mind you, a righteous woman has great power his working. Hey church, our prayers matter. Our prayers, your prayers, make a difference. I love one of the plumb lines, one of the leadership lines out of Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. They simply state this, that prayer doesn't fuel ministry, prayer is the ministry. And so you might be sitting here today going, okay, I set up my tent of meeting every day. I'm going to give Jesus my first and my last. And in between, I'm going to pray without ceasing. Hey, pastor, what does it look like to intercede for someone? And here's two quick challenges when it comes to intercede. First of all, take intercession personally. Hey, when it comes to interceding for other people, we must take intercessory prayer personally. Remembering that intercession is going to our king of kings on behalf of someone else's need. We are the go-between. It is bringing people to Jesus through prayer. And let me ask you this. Who have you brought to Jesus through prayer this week? Who is it that you are continuing To bring to Jesus through prayer. Anthony, who is it that I could intercede for? How about your one? Right now, we're approaching out in your who's your one board, we're approaching 30 orange ping pong balls. You know what that means? That nearly 30 people who at some point in the past month was somebody's one has given their heart and their life to Jesus. Hey, bring your one to Jesus through prayer. The one who is near to you but is far from God, bring them to Jesus through prayer. Hey, intercede for your family. Pray for your your faith family, your church, and other believers. Paul would say, Pray for the Lord's people, pray for your community. And i just, I put down some, just some references in Scripture here of who Scripture tells us to pray for. By the way, not an exhaustive list, but watch this. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2.2 2, to pray for those who are in authority, even the ones we don't like. Hey, I, I'm going to tell you something. Have you prayed for Biden as much as you did Trump? Do you pray for Democrats as much as you do Republicans or vice versa? Scripture calls us to intercede for our leaders by those who are in authority over us, our mayors and our councilmen and women, to pray for those who are in authority, to pray for our friends as we find in Job 42.8, our fellow countrymen in in Romans 10.1. The sixth, James 5.14 points out, and in 1 Timothy 2.1, listen, he just says, Paul writes, pray for everybody. Intercede for everyone that you can. And this is where it gets a little bit more difficult. Here's where it gets hard. Jesus would teach us in Matthew chapter five, verse 44 and 45, to pray for your enemies and those who forsake you. To pray for those who've hurt you, who've inflicted wounds on you. Can I tell you what I've learned? I've had people who come after me, people who just want to destroy me. And you know one of the greatest things I can do in that situation is pray for them. You know why? It's really hard to hate someone you're praying for. So next time you get mad, the next time somebody ticks you off, they put your finger in their face and tell them, I'm going to pray for you. And you do just that. You pray for your enemies. Take intercession personally. Watch this in 1 Samuel. I love what he writes. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Could it be that we sin against God by not interceding for others? Samuel saw it that way. And here's the last Point of encouragement here. You ready? Make intercession expectantly. Take it personally. And when you make intercession on behalf of someone, do so expectantly. You ready? When I pray for someone, I pray expecting God to move in their heart and their life, to move in the heart and the life of the person I'm I'm praying for. I pray expectantly during a season of great doubt or drought. A Scottish preacher named Dr. Guthrie prayed at his church one Sunday. The land was in drought, and the people were desperate. And so from the pulpit that morning, this pastor interceded. He brought his community to Jesus through prayer, and he asked God for rain. Well, him and his family had gone home after church that Sunday, and, and like many churches did back then, they had a Sunday night service. And so as they got ready to go back to the Sunday night service, he was walking out of the door, and his little daughter came up to him, and she handed him an umbrella. And he looked at her and said, what is this for? And here's her words. You prayed for rain this morning, and don't you expect that God will send it? And so that old pastor took that umbrella and he went to church that night and he preached. And on the way home as they walked home, him and his little girl walked under the shelter of an umbrella for God had sent the rain. Hey, when you intercede for someone, are you expecting God to do big things in their heart and their life? Hey, you ready? The most powerful thing you could do for your spouse is pray for them. The most powerful thing you can do for your kids, your grandkids, is to intercede for them. To bring them to Jesus through through prayer. Most powerful thing you could do for a friend, for your church. If I could be selfish for a moment for your pastor, is pray for me. Hey, bring me to Jesus through prayer. Every time you think of me, when the Vols win, when you pass the bacon aisle at Walmart, hey, pray. Pray for me. Most powerful thing you can do for the lost, for the hurting and the hopeless, is to bring them to Jesus through prayer. Last Sunday, I got some pretty hard news. Uh, two Wednesdays ago, I got a text from one of our church members, Gary, whose precious wife and family sit right here today. So two Wednesdays ago, he sent me a text, and here's what it read. Hey, sorry to bother you. I want you to know that I'm very sick. been out of school all week be on fall break next week. I basically have double pneumonia in my lungs. I'm quarantined in my upstairs den. I really appreciate your prayers, bro. Now, Gary always texts me to let me know when he's not at church. Um, some of y'all do that. I love it. It's great. Always texts me. Last Sunday, two Sundays ago, I, I didn't get a text from him. But on Wednesday night, I got this. And, man, of course, I'm praying for you. You're going to be Okay. You're going to be fine. Here's a picture of Gary and his his wonderful wife, Deborah. Well, Sunday, last Sunday, I I got ready to preach in the 9 o'clock service, and I get a text from Gary's phone, and it's Deborah. She says, hey, Pastor Anthony, I just want you to know that we've had to take Gary to the hospital. He's sick. By the time I got done preaching and my meetings in the afternoon, I got another text from Deborah that they had placed Gary on a ventilator. I went back and I looked at my text thread. I checked on him every morning and every night. And his request was still the same. Pray for me. Deborah, you know what he never asked me to do? Preach him a sermon and send it to him. Never asked me to call Zach to come and sing him a song. Didn't want me to check in on his portfolio to make sure that His stocks were in the right place. There was really nothing better I could do for Gary than to bring him to Jesus through prayer. And man, how he did. How we prayed for him. Prayed that God would would heal him. That Gary would be okay. And that Gary would live. And you know what? This past Wednesday, God answered our prayers for Gary. Gary was healed. Gary is okay. And Gary lives. But not on this side of eternity. Today, he's spending his first Sunday at the feet of Jesus. Right before he was put on a ventilator, Gary posted a Facebook video, an emotional, an emotional plea. And do you know what? In the most difficult moments of his life, do you know that what he wanted above everything else, for people to pray for him? Nothing else, but for people to pray for him. You know why? Gary knows the power. Just years earlier, he almost died in a car accident and, and God had spared his life. And He knew the power of prayer. And so in his most difficult and desperate of moments, what mattered the most to him was that people were bringing him to Jesus through prayer, through prayer. As I'm going to tell you, prayer is powerful. And one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is one of intercession. It meant everything to Gary, who now is in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him today. And he's okay. And he is healed. And he lives because of the very Jesus who every day of Gary's life prayed for him and loved him and saved him. Hey, can I ask you, church? Who are you bringing to Jesus through through prayer? Or is there grass growing? Is there grass growing on that path? Let's pray together, can we?